Uh, Worship worthy of our great God, don't you think? That's the kind of uh, praise time and worship time and tell God you love Him kind of time that uh, we need to have. We need to um, express from our hearts how great our God is and what we think of Him. And uh, so these times are very important for us as as a family of God to gather together. Father, as we transition into hearing from you now, we want to thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for visiting us and presiding here and giving us the privilege of a foretaste of what it is to be in your presence, to have the angels singing your praises, to have the trumpeters sounding forth the brass, to let you know, Father, that all of creation praises you and honors you and worships you because you alone are worthy of our praise. And so, our Father, we want you to know we we love you. We love your word. We're thankful, Father, that you have uh, revealed yourself to us. We thank you, Father, that now you want to talk to us. You have a message to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you will cause God's people and all that are here to open up their ears, to hear what you have to say. We know that Christ walks among the churches. So we know that the presence of the Son of God is right here. And we know, Father, that the angels long to look at these things, that they might praise you and honor you and be found in awe of you. So I pray, Father, that you would empower your word to our lives and our hearts this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a new award, or at least I think it was a new award, that started to crop up during my time of raising my children. Uh, in, in particular, in, this, in the world of sports. When I was coaching them, they were little, littler kids. And, and um, it may have predated that, but it, it seemed to show up. Um, during the time that, that I was coaching, and it was the Participation Award. Now, when I, when I was raised, when I grew up, there was no such thing as a Participation Award. You either won or you went home. That was sort of the way it was. The winners got an award. The losers, well, they went crying into their mother's arms and went home. That's just the way it was. And, and everything was fine with At least I was fine with that. In fact, I always told my kids, don't you be bringing home no Participation Awards to this house. I'm not interested in participation awards. I don't think you ought to be rewarded for participating. Participation should be its own reward. I think we're raising a whole generation of people who are are addicted to entitlement. Now, I know I've lost probably three-quarters of you already. You're saying, I don't agree with one thing the guy has said so far. That's fine. I'm going to make my case. Around our house, we didn't reward the children for being good. Now, when they were bad, there were serious consequences. But I never bribed the kids to be good. I know some people do, and they they have reasons that they think that that's a good thing to do. But but, but I never bribed my kids to be good. And I'll tell you why I didn't. Because a lot of life requires you to be good for nothing. Am am I right? Is it not true? A A lot of things in life just simply require you to be good 
for nothing. In fact, <clears throat> you remember the time in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, when we had this glimpse of heaven, it's it um, found in the book of Job. It says the angels were presenting themselves to God, and God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Do you remember what question popped into Satan's head? Does he fear God for, come on, nothing? Does he fear God for nothing? Satan's whole argument to God was, the only reason that Job serves you, the only reason that he's really amped up about you is because you, you take care of him. You bless him magnificently. You put a hedge around him. But you take away all of the blessings and benefits, and he will curse you to your face. Game on, God says. The challenge is on. And the whole of the book of Job goes on to make the case in answering that question, does Job fear God for nothing? The whole answer of that book is one word. Yes. Yes, he does. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 6. It's a familiar story to almost everybody in here. It's the, the walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And I would submit to you that the walls of Jericho represent a wall, in particular, that needs to come down in our lives. If you want to go big for God, and by the way, this was early in their journey into the promised land. This is something that had to happen in their lives, and it will surely have to happen in your life. In fact, because I know so many of you and what you're going through, I know it's already happening in your life. You, you're in this thing right now in this particular situation. And, and this Jericho wall uh, s- story and scenario is going to speak to your situation. I, I would submit to you that today's faith lesson that we're going to encounter in Joshua chapter 6 is a testing of our obedience and loyalty to Christ when there is no sign of personal benefit or blessing or reward at all. It's a tutorial lesson that God puts you in regularly if he has to until he gets you to the place where you will be loyal to him even if you don't get rewarded. Because that's the question on the table this morning. Will you be loyal to God even if you don't get rewarded? And here's the power for living in sight. When you are being asked for raw obedience based upon absurd logic, with no apparent personal benefit or blessing, will you still be fully devoted and committed to Christ? Now, don't answer that too quickly. Because there are huge temptations that crop up in our lives when we are... When we believe that we are being faithful to God, we are obeying Him, we are, we are worshiping Him, we are, we are serving Him with all of our hearts, and there doesn't seem to be apparent benefit or blessing to it. There are grave temptations that we, we, we try to slip in and take something that maybe He doesn't want us to have, just because I say, you know what, I, I need a participation award, Lord, i got to have something. Saying, where did you find this in Joshua chapter 6? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you look at the verse 17 and 18, I think it's a key to understanding the Jericho miracle, the Jericho situation. When God is giving his instructions about how they're to take the uh, city of Jericho, he gives some very particular instructions in verse 17 and verse 18. 
the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. In other words, when you accomplish this great task by faith, trusting in me, there's going to be nothing in it for you. You don't get anything. And in verse 18, he goes on to say, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Now, God has regularly, and we're going to see over and over, lesson upon lesson after this, where God showers upon them benefits and blessings for the particular incident they're involved in. In fact, by the time we get to Joshua chapter 8, and they go and conquer another, another city, they get to keep the spoils of the victory. But not this time. And, and I, as I was studying this, I had asked myself, why couldn't they have the spoils? Why not this time? Why is it so important? Why this early in the journey? Did they have to trust God and apparently get nothing out of it? Well, that's the question that I want to pursue with you this morning. I want you to uh, follow with me as we start at verse 1 and we work our way. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Can you imagine? On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Seven priests blowing seven trumpets. Seven Dave Browns out there blowing trumpets to honor great God. Can you imagine what that would be like? When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all of the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. And the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard ahead of you, or going ahead of you. The, the original word there is really passing over, pass over ahead of you, which is language they would have understood and it would have had some symbolic reason, meaning to them. Pass over ahead of the ark of the Lord. Now, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he, had, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, 
You will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. <clears throat> they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. This is the word of the Lord. I want to suggest to, to you that um, I, I, I think there are four observations I'd like to make this morning with respect to this matter of will you be loyal even if you don't get rewarded? Uh, because um, this, the context from which this kind of faith, first of all, materializes in your life is usually from complete human futility. You're up against a wall. That's, that's what they were up against. It, it introduces the story here by the fact that Jericho, it says, was shut up tight. It was in complete lockdown. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the way that Jericho's walls were described by the ancients where they were walled to heaven suggested historically that they were about three stories high. And, and not only was it one single wall, but it was a double wall that was separated by 12 feet. This was a massive, uh, massive roadblock to accomplishing the conquest that God had for them. And the Israelites came bearing spears and swords. They didn't come with bulldozers and battering rams to take down a wall of this magnitude. So the, the picture here is you're, you're up against a wall. I mean, this is impregnable. This is an incredible wall. And some of you are up against a wall in, in your own lives. You're, you're up against it. Maybe it's an economic situation in your life. It just won't simply correct itself. Maybe it's a relationship issue and it's just not healing itself. Maybe it's, maybe it's some sort of sin in your life that's dogging you and it, it, it just continues to, to pressure you and, 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 and cause you grief in your life. You're up against that wall. Back is to the wall. Now, uh, this is a reminder to them, of course, of their failed past. They'd failed before. And by the way, not because they didn't know the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. Back in Numbers chapter 13, chapter 14, God made His Word very abundantly clear to them. And it's very, very understandable. It wasn't complicated. He said, I want you to go and spy out the land that I'm giving to you. I'm giving you this land. Go and get it. It wasn't that they didn't understand the Word of God. So what's with their backs up against the wall? Why is there no movement forward? They had been listening. And I guess they'd been learning something, but listening and learning is not enough. And they had been 
The kind of people who wanted to continually cash in on the blessings that they believed that God owed to them. Uh, They were all lined up for their participation awards. But what God wanted from them is not simply listening and learning and cashing in on blessings all the time. He wanted them to march and make music in their hearts and have a vision for the kind of miracle that he wanted to show to them. Maybe not the miracle that they were hoping for. Rubbing their hands together and thinking, what kind of spoils are in that city? What kind of benefit are we going to get? When we take over this city, what's the blessings that are going to be heaped upon us? That's not the lesson. That's not, what, that's not the vision that God had for them. He had a different miracle in mind. It wasn't so much what he was going to do for them as what he was going to do in them. In their life. How he's going to transform them. The, his victory in you, not so much for you, when your back is up against the wall, maybe the financial situation is, isn't changing. And it's not going to change for a while. Maybe that relationship that's, that's not repaired is, is not going to heal so quickly. Maybe the temptation is going to keep dogging you. But they weren't allowed to go in and touch anything for themselves. Maybe the first wall in spiritual conquest that God has for you is you. Maybe you're it. Maybe you're the wall. Maybe all you can see is you. Maybe that's what you're fixated upon. Maybe he has to clear some mega debris in you first. I want to get to more practical and specific tonight on this very matter. You'll see a listing of things on the other side of your sermon notes if you happen to check them out. But we'll talk about that tonight because I want to I take you a little bit more practically into this. But I want to introduce the reality to you tonight as I understand, or this morning as I understand it. We don't have time to, to deal with all the practical applications. It's going to require for us to look at it again tonight. The question is whether you want to be a spiritual winner or a spiritual wanderer. That's the question that's put before us. You're going to be loyal to God even if you don't see the apparent benefits or blessings right now. Are you just going to be exodized only or powerized in your life? I don't know if those are real words, but, but I think they tell us something. Is it all just about escape? All just about, I got to get out? But, but you're not going to really experience what it is to have the, free, the freedom and the liberty and, and being totally freed in Christ and filled with Christ? I can just hear them um, asking Joshua, so what's the plan? Is it, um, we're going to build some siege ramps? Is that what we're going to do? Or, or what about a cruise missile? Got any thought about that? Or, or, or maybe, maybe what about that 40-day, 40 40-night 40 rain deluge thing? That seemed to work really well in the past. Oh, it's the, um, it's the old march around the city and follow the stage band routine. Is that what it's going to be? Can you imagine? I mean, that's what he had to say to them. No, no, it's not a siege ramp. It's, it's not battering rams. It's, it, it's, not, uh, it, it's not a flood. It's not even thunder and lightning from heaven, brimstone and fire. It's, um, it's like follow the praise band around the city. Like... See, this kind of loyalty to God, which is what he's looking for, by the way, in your life, 
It's going to require obedience to what others would consider absurd. He's going to ask you that in your life. Your back is against the wall. He's going to recommend things to you that other people would think is absurd. He wants to teach you to be loyal when it doesn't make any sense to anybody else. See, normally there's um, some sort of force and action to taking down a wall, right? Circling the wall is not exactly the idea of a great strategic plan. Can you imagine the cat calls from the bleachers of the Canaanite culturally elite as they're standing up there saying, so what are you going to do? Huff and puff and blow the walls down? Well, actually, you know, so, so when you're worried, the world asks you, what's your action plan? Oh, I'm going to pop a few pills. Well, what's God's plan? Don't be anxious for anything. Pray about everything. You know, you know the world wonders, what, what are you going to do if you're wounded by somebody? Well, the, the world suggests you take out revenge on them and... And, and, and the absurd logic of God is, no, you bless them. So you want to be first. You know what the world says? Push your way to the front. The absurd logic of God is, be last. But what, what are you going to do when, um, when God's plan for you, in the eyes of everybody else, is absurd? The world asks you how you're going to have treasure. Their suggestion is, well, of course, your action plan is to accumulate more things. But what's God's absurd logic? Give it away that you might have treasures in heaven. Uh, When I was down in the States um, this summer, I became fascinated. The last few times I've been down, I became fascinated with a fast food chain called Chick-fil-A. You know the Chick-fil-A thing? Anybody know that place? You like it? I like it. I know Calvin would like it. Chick-fil-A, man, that's a good place. I like the chicken. But you know what I like more than the chicken? I like the attitude, the atmosphere. That place is amazing. We, Pastor Diath was practically genuflecting, genuflecting at, the, uh, at the corporate headquarters of Chick-fil-A. He's just like, this place is so servant-minded. I'm so impressed. I mean, we were down there, and there, you're, you're out in the, out in the uh, parking lot, and they got people out there welcoming you to the place, out in the parking lot, taking you in there. You get in there. The, the people who are working there are all excited about working there. You know what their, their business plan is? You know what their corporate plan is? Do you know what it is? You want to tell me? They're closed on Sundays. No exceptions. Are you kidding me? That's the, that's the most ridiculous, absurd business plan I've ever heard. I mean, who would close a fast food chain on Sundays? Where will all the Christians eat? It's a corporate vision. And by the way, they write it in their... I, I went on their corporate website, and I was just fascinated. I was searching all over the place, getting the testimonies from their chief executive officers and all that. It's just an amazing place. And it says there on their corporate website, we are closed Sundays without exception. Now, what do you think all the other shrewd business strategy, strategic plan uh, gurus think of that? And you know what their, uh, their annual income is? $2.9 billion. 
They give away $25 million in scholarships to their employees. No wonder they're excited about working at the place. Their, their corporate motto is, to, is um, our mission is to glorify God and be great stewards of all that he's entrusted to us. What a horrible business plan that is. God wants to get you to the place in your life where that could be your business plan. It's absurd in terms of logic. But somehow, they determined that they would be loyal, Chick-fil-A would be loyal in obedience, even to what others would consider absurd. See, normally, when you do something for God, you're, you're sort of anticipating that he might bless you. That's kind of how it works. So, so normally when you're going to conquer a city, you're like, so the spoils are what sweetens the pot. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll lay our life on the line, Lord, and, and we'll put lots of energy and effort into this, but we're kind of looking for some benefits and some blessings. So... Your obedience will get something in return. It's sort of an investment contract we have with God. We're not so brash as to sort of vocalize that too often. I'm serving God, so I will get blessed. But but in our heart of hearts, that's kind of what we're thinking. We're thinking that's how the investment works. That's how the deal works. But I want to tell you something, that obedience alone will not prevent you from becoming cold toward God. That's why this is so important. Obedience without payout will. See, here's the reason people fail. They don't fail because they they don't understand the word of God. I think most of us, we understand what God's word says. It's not all that complicated. You open up, you read it. it, It's pretty straightforward. It's it's not that we don't understand what what God is saying. And and, um, it's not that we don't understand what we're supposed to do about what God is saying. We usually know what we're supposed to do. And it's not usually that we we don't think God has the power to deliver on what he tells us we're supposed to do. That's not usually our problem. Our problem is that we have become used to serving God and getting blessed for it. And noticing some tangible benefits right away. That's where the challenge comes in. I, I go looking for... What I, then I, I go looking for what I want most out of a given situation, and it's, I, I want to somehow benefit from my obedience. I believe that God is training Israel early in this journey, that they might do this for God and not for gifts. I, I think that, that that's what this all boils down to. The question is raised, are we serving him because he's good to us or because he's God? You, you have to take a personal inventory in your own life. Are we committed to our contract with God? That he must bribe us with feel-good blessings and benefits in order for us to continue to be loyal and obey him? By the way, um, I think it's worthwhile for us to hear Jesus on this very matter. In Luke chapter 17, verse 7, he says, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? 
Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? See, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. Are you kidding me? No participation award? Here's the problem. We get so busy, especially when times are tough in our lives, we get so busy, self-focused. We're weighed down by what we can get from God. Instead of, thirdly, that, that we need to have our faith reset around what God can do. I, I think it's, um, it's instructive for us in verse 11 where we note here that Joshua, it says, so he, Joshua, had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling at once. It wasn't talking so much about the people circling and all their battle plan and their strategic plan and all that. He was making a point that, that the Lord was the visual focus of this event. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but as I was reading it, in your translation, you'll see that the ark is mentioned in the NIV nine times. But in the original language, it's mentioned 11 times. You know what that means. That means that uh, there's a real emphasis there, that their vision was to be on God. This whole situation and scenario, it's about God. You're to to watch Him. You're to look at Him. Don't be self-focused. Be God-focused. This is a vision of God that you need, a fresh vision of God. You need to clear away all of the distractions in your life so you can watch God. When your back is up against a wall, it is no time to get a mirror out and start wondering what kind of benefits and blessings and rewards you're going to get for obeying God. It's a time that you need to watch God. Did you notice the numbers in this text? Seven priests, seven trumpets, a seven-day march, seven times on the seventh day. What do you think that was, something random? Like, oh, you know, God was in heaven saying, ah, what number can I pick? Let's think, um, I don't know, maybe seven. Do you think that's how God choreographed this whole mission to Jericho? No, the seven meant something. They were to keep their eyes off of themselves and start wandering around this city seven times, watching seven priests, listening to seven trumpets, seven times the seventh day. Seven, seven, seven. And somebody smart in the audience would have said, seven? You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me that he is the Lord of creation. That's talking to me about the seven days of creation. That's the kind of God he is. And I'm looking at the ark. I'm seeing the presence of God circling in front of me. I've got my eyes fixed on God. He's refocusing you on God. Get all the distractions out of the way and watch God. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I... uh, I uh, had the privilege of being a tour host to Toronto for that uh, group of American kids who were singing here. You know, they wanted to go see the city, so I'll take you to see the city. And, and um, one of the, uh, the um, opportunities that was provided by a generous gift from someone here in the church was to go up the CN Tower, take them all up the CN Tower. So that's what we did. Went all up the CN Tower. You know what? I hadn't been there for years. You know what my assessment of the CN Tower was? I got up there and I thought, wow, how small all the other buildings in Toronto are that I used to think were so big. It, it gives you a, it gives you a, a reminder of the perspective of the, the magnitude and, 
an awesome size of the, that CN Tower. Well, that's what this whole episode is about in Jericho. And what, what God wants in your life is for you to have a fresh vision and awareness. Watch God. See how great he is. See how amazing he is. I was at a pastor's gathering uh, this past week, and we were sort of trading um, stories as we do. And um, we were just sort of about strategies and, and ideas. And we were noting that, that people's church attendance, uh, regularity of people's church attendance is, is tailing off. It's, it's not normal for people to come to church every Sunday like they once did. And people are skipping a week or skipping several weeks or skipping several, several weeks. Well, my question is, how healthy is that? I mean, your back is against the wall. If it isn't today, it will be tomorrow or the next day or a few days from now, a couple of weeks or a month from now. And you've lost your perspective of, of God? I had forgotten how small the, all those buildings are in Toronto until I got up in the CN Tower. And it's not until you gather here and we have a, a, an amazing worship time like we had this morning of, uh, of just being in the presence of God and a foretaste of His presence and to see how amazing He is, how holy He is and magnificent He is. Sometimes God doesn't come running to benefit you or bless you right away because He wants you to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about Him. You notice they're following around this procession, it says in the Scripture, they're following it. We need to stop running ahead of God and start following Him. Maybe that's what's happening in your life. You've been so busy, so busy writing your own plan for life, it's your own strategic plan in life, you've forgotten that you're actually supposed to follow Christ. Not run ahead of Him. You see what it was like the first day they're wandering around? And, 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 and you, know the, you understand the drama? Like, did God need them to want, go around 13 times? Is that what he needed? I guess I need them to go around 13 times because that's what it's going to take. Now, he didn't need any of that. So we have to ask the question, what was that all about? Why? Why were they marching around 13 times? Well, can you think about the first day they're wandering around? Following, getting reoriented, not running ahead of God, but following the procession that God is leading. We need to do that a lot. And they're wandering around, they're looking at that wall, and they're thinking, man, that wall is huge. This problem is massive. And they walk around the second day, and they're thinking, you know what, I'm kind of looking for some white flags. I'm just hoping these people will surrender, because I don't know what we're going to do. This is 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 looking rough. And so they see this, and then they're thinking, and then they're thinking, you know, we're going around seven times, and they're sharing thoughts with each other. Somebody, somebody spiritual comes up and says, yeah, isn't God great? He's the God of creation, the Lord of all the heavens and the earth. And they're walking around, they're thinking, yeah, he's the, he's, the, he's the God of the heavens and the earth. What's the big deal with these blocks? And they're walking around, and they're starting, as they're following Christ, they're starting to see Christ. They're starting to see how massive God is. It's building up their faith and their belief, their vision of God. Thirteen marches. You might be out there this morning saying, I, you're talking about watching God, it's about God, seeing God and all that. I never see God. I never see God. What, what are you talking to me about? I'd love to see God in my life, but I never see God in my life. Who are the people who see God? See, that's what this is about. God wanted to reset their vision so that they were moving forward and seeing God. Who is it that sees God? It says in the Matthew 5 text that blessed are, you know what it says? The pure in heart. 
for they will see God. I have to think, you know, who, who are the pure in heart? How would we define the pure in heart? I would say to you, they're not the people who have all this external foo-for-all going on in their lives necessarily. The pure in heart are those people who at the very center of their lives, at the very core of their being, are totally committed to obeying and being loyal to God. The real, the, the authentic. You, you, God looks at those people and says that they're pure in heart. In fact, it's interesting that in Psalm 73 where David says, I almost lost my footing because I saw everybody else being blessed except for people of God. It starts out there by saying that, that God loves the pure in heart. God here is resetting your life to make sure that you're one of them, that you're, that you're a pure at heart person. Faith isn't real unless when pressed to obey, obeys, period. Now, not because it's blessed, not because there's benefits that, that you're being bribed toward, but it just obeys. Those are the ones who see God. You see, he, he gave instructions here. He said, I, I want you to walk around the city six times each day, one time, one time each day for six days. Now, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And I don't want you to say anything. Can you imagine? I want you to be quiet. But on that seventh day, after you've walked around the seventh time, I want you to shout. Now, you know, I'm thinking of this crowd of thousands and thousands of people. You have to sell this vision to. Can you imagine them? I'm not, I'm not, you know what, if everybody else is going to shout, I, like, I'm not going to just do what everybody else does. Can you imagine the folded arms? Or, or um, the, uh, the businesses that are successful, they don't shout. Or, or, you know, or, you know this, this shout thing, we've never shouted before. God seems to come through, so why should I shout this time? Or, um, yeah, you know what? Shouting used to work, but I, I've heard it, it's not like in now, so it's like shouting, I'm not doing the shouting thing. No, no, they shouted. All of them. And, and then there's the scarlet cord, you know? Can you imagine if Rahab says, um, well, would blue be Okay. Because I got lots of extra blue. I, I'm, I'm kind of short on the red thing. How about a purple? Would a string do? Because here's the thing with the cord. I, I'd like to unravel that thing, and I'd like to use a lot that's in it. And I'll, I'll be willing to give God like a string. Would that be okay? I was watching um, the History Channel this week. I like the History Channel. Did anybody like the History Channel? I like the History Good. You know what? In the first service, was like two people thinking, wow, Okay, but, but I'm glad to see there are so many intelligent people in the second service. <laughs> so so I, I like the History Channel anyway, and I, I, it was, it, I guess it wasn't coincidental, but, but I was just surfing and I went to the History Channel, and they were doing a show on the walls of Jericho. Can you imagine that? Now, it was a bunch of liberal religious scholars trying to explain away the miracle. And I was fascinated because I want to see, I, I got to see this, I got to see how they explain this thing away. So their deal was, um, well, you know, it, 
it, it, it wasn't that the walls came down with a shout or anything like that. Here's what happened. And, and they said the, the reason for the cord, that, that scarlet cord thing, that was like so when, when people were marching around the wall that the Israelites could sneak a bunch, of, um, a bunch of soldiers up into Rahav's house and they could get into Jericho that way. They wouldn't notice because they'd be distracted by all the trumpets and all that and they'd be sneaking 10 guys in every time they go around. So that when, in fact, that they finished up the 13 times around, they had like a, a, a SWAT force in there of about 130 guys and, um, and they were able to open the door and, and, and figuratively the walls came down. It's like, Wow. You know what? God already checkmated you guys a long time ago when he wrote the story. It's quite amazing that, that they don't notice certain details that we notice. And these guys are liberal scholars, but, but they, they, they're so busy explaining away the miracles of God, which God, by the way, in his providence and in his brilliance and his foreknowledge, noticed in advance and gives us details that, that kind of thwart the whole idea. It says in the text that the walls came down And the men, it says, ran straight in. Now, picture this. You've got thousands and thousands of people. By the way, this this, um, Jericho is about the size of eight football fields in in area. So you've got thousands of people around the city wall. They're walking around. And then the seventh time around, they all shout. And it says in the text, the walls came down and all the men went straight in. Now, that picture for me... Uh, it suggests they didn't gather in a big mob and try and run in a doorway together. It says to me that, w- that the walls dropped everywhere they were, and the men ran straight into the city. All because there were a group of people who decided that they would be loyal to God, even if they had to give everything back to Him, because it was about God, and not them. And I'm fully convinced that people who call themselves the people of God are people who obey the word of God. That's what it means to be the people of God. We obey the word of God. Now, Rahav, it says here, she believed and obeyed by faith the word of God that was given to her by the messengers and was saved and became the first fruits, by the way, of anybody and any nation of people who would choose to trust God. So, I ask you this morning, You up against a wall? You backed up against a wall? Nothing seems to be changing. Maybe maybe the wall is you. Maybe it's a time right now where God wants to simply reset your vision. You've been running, you've been planning, you've been trying everything. Maybe He just wants to reset your vision. Follow Him. Be loyal to him and trust him with whatever he has for you. Our Father, I thank you this morning that you've entrusted this story to us. You've given us open hearts to hear. There are many situations in this congregation, Father, that 
are not really experiencing the kind of resolution that, that they had hoped. And many of us will face things. Lord, you are the great God of the universe. You have not forgotten about our situation, nor are you unable to help us. These Jericho walls came down. The people went straight in and, and then devoted everything to you. Everything back to you. A lesson in being loyal just because you are God. Lord, maybe, um, maybe this is an opportunity for us to do some soul searching and just ask the question, would I be loyal to Christ if he never gave me another blessing or another, or another benefit? Because that's who the pure in heart really are. And they're the people who see God. And we can't afford to go through life without seeing you, Lord. So thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to come back tonight because I do want to look at the practicals, the realities, the application of this tonight with you. There are possible walls in your life that we want to look at and and examine them. I just want to conclude by saying this, that the writer of Hebrews gives us a commentary on this particular situation and gives us the reason why they succeeded. In Hebrews chapter 11.30, it wasn't just because they knew the word of God, and, and, and it wasn't because they resized the word of God down to something they could manage and do on their own. It says in the text that after they had marched, it, it, was, it was about people who counted the cost of loyal obedience with no personal apparent gain or benefit or blessing, who simply took God at his word and acted upon it. Exactly, precisely how he said. Absurd logic it might be, but they chose to act on God's word as it is. That might be your wall. Getting to the place where you will simply say, Lord, I don't understand it. Everybody else thinks it's bizarre and absurd and illogical, but it is your word. And it's what you say. And I'm going to do it. That's who God's looking for. Father, I, I pray that for us, that we would be those kind of people. Move forward. Have a wall come down. That wall may be us. So we can move into a place of spiritual excellence, fullness in Christ that we all long for in our hearts, but struggle to arrive at. You want to give it to us. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.